to Lakeland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. cracking up after the first service. We're praying, peace, peace. It's the end of the world. <laughs> no, but I feel fine. I don't know about you, but you can feel fine. And that's my prayer is that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And quite frankly, it doesn't matter how bad things get, you can feel mighty fine. Um, we are continuing in our, in our series here. It's the end of the world as we mo- know it. Uh, week three, let me start by asking you a question. How many of you have heard of the Forest Fen treasure? Anyone, anyone, anyone? Okay, handful of people, handful. All right, some people maybe at home. Uh, so if you are unaware of the Forest Fen treasure, there's this guy, he uh, lived in Santa Fe. He was an art dealer. And um, back this a little over 10 years ago, he took about two to three million dollars worth of gold and precious gems and put it in a bronze treasure chest and buried it in uh, the national, in one of our national forests right here in America, uh, in somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And in his autobiography, he wrote a nine kind of paragraph poem with some cryptic clues of where it was hidden. And it's for anyone to find. And for uh, about, for the last decade, of, they've, they've estimated approximately 350,000 people have searched for this treasure. And uh, people are just going out constantly looking. Some people just made it their livelihood. Like, this is all I'm going to do is I'm just going to search for the Forest Fen uh, treasure. And, uh, and they just kind of went for it. And we knew it wasn't too hard. Like, it wasn't too far off the beaten path or too far buried because the guy buried it uh, at 79. So he was an older guy when he went on out and carried out this thing and, and buried it. And so it was findable. And just last year, it was found. And the, the individual took pictures of it, uh, sent them on over to Forest Fen's website, and he affirmed that it was found. And, um, and so that's really cool. But what was really interesting about because re- I've read about it uh, for years. I've read the paragraphs, and, I've, and I, love national, um, I, I, I love national parks. And that was his whole heart. He just wanted people to get out into the national parks and just explore nature. And that was his whole deal. Like, if I can get you out there, uh, that's his goal. And I just love I loved it as a whole. Uh, but what he did is he left all these kind of cryptic clues to help guide people, obviously, to the treasure. And here's the deal. God, in his word, has left clues for us to be able to discern so that we would know when things might get to the end. The, as we call them, end times or the return of Christ. It's not when The, the reality is, we cannot crystal clear say, here's the day, here's how it will look, exactly, here's all the stuff. But God did give us in his word, here's all the clues so that his children would be able to discern and say, I think all the things are pointing toward this as that we're nearing the end times. And so that's what we're looking at today. Last week, I talked about how uh, my argument of, of a possible timeline toward the end, and my argument is that we are nearing the end. Today, I want to take that further. I want to talk about some of the indicators or some of the clues that we are nearing the end. These are often referred to as birth pains in Scripture. Now, you might say that's an interesting term. Why do you use that? Well, because in Matthew chapter 24, this is what Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him, 
Uh, Hey, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And he had been talking about how the temple will be destroyed. They're saying, when's that going to happen? When they ask that question, Jesus is going to go into actually uh, an answer to, hey, here's some things in terms of when the temple will be destroyed. But then he goes all the way into their actual question, which is the end of the age. He starts going, hey, Here's what you can expect. And then he gives a whole bunch of things that will be coming. And he says, these are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I've been through nine babies being born, because that's how many kids my wife and I have. Eight labors, because we've got twins in there. And I've watched my wife go through it enough that I can speak to birth pains. Now, before any of you women are like, "Uh uh-uh, you cannot speak to birth pains, um, I'm not going to claim that I know what it feels like. I just know how I can, I know what it looks like. I've observed it enough to be able to uh, know, like, what is labor and what is not. Because this is what I know, is that my wife, at least this is for her, she would often, during the final weeks heading toward labor, she would often say, I think I'm in labor. I think this is labor. And here's what I've come to learn over all those years. Every time she said, I think I'm in labor, she wasn't in labor. It was when she looked deep past my eyes into my soul and would go, I'm in labor, that she was in labor. Every time. So, so by like the last pregnancy, when she's like, I think you're in labor, I'm like, you're not in labor. I'll know and you'll know because you'll look deep into my soul and I'll feel like you're ripping it out of me in that moment, you know? And because uh, I know the difference between Braxton Hicks contractions and labor. And uh, similarly, God gives us these insights toward his return so that we can start going, hey guys, I, uh, church, I think we're nearing labor. Like, Just like we have labor pains, like all these Braxton Hicks contractions that make us question, make a mom question, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? It should make the church go, guys, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And I don't know if you've had anyone ask you this year, is this it? It's probably because we're nearing it. That's why. And so... um, what I want to do today is I want to break this thing into two parts. I want to talk about signs of the nearing arrival and things that have to be in place for the arrival. And if I just kind of take that labor illustration a little bit further, if you think about it this way, there are signs of a nearing arrival like Braxton Hicks contractions or when the baby drops, the mom goes from like carrying the baby up here to all of a sudden carrying the baby down here. Those are like indicators that it's near labor. And then there are things that have to be in place. So for example, if you have a baby in a hospital, they're not going to let you take that baby home without a car seat or without knowing that the baby has diapers. Like there's things that have to be in place for you to take that baby. And in the same way, uh, there are things that are signs or indicators that the end is near and things that have to be in place for the end to come. And so first half, I'm gonna talk about signs of the nearing end. And then second half is gonna be things that have to be in place for the end to come, okay? So let's start with five signs. Five things. We All right, just buckle up. Because that's how fast we're going to go today. Okay, five signs that we're nearing the end. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. The disciples ask him, hey, tell us, when is this going to happen? What will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? And he goes on, he says, hey, watch that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and they're going to deceive many. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of war, but see to it that none of you are alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. 
Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginning of the birth pains. So he describes, hey, here's some of the things that you can expect. Wars, wars, famines, earthquakes, kingdoms coming against kingdom, nation against nation. And in the fall, in, later in the chapter, in verse 34, Jesus will say to those disciples sitting in front of them, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, throughout the chapter, he will refer to this time as the distress. That's often throughout the chapter how he calls it. This time of distress, many Bible scholars believe, actually begins right there with those early disciples. That they're going to experience some of these elements, because they will. They're going to experience nations overthrowing nations, earthquakes, famines, things like that. However, it doesn't mean that the distress is over with that generation, but only that they will experience all these things within their generation. I believe that they are going to experience it, it's going to continue, and it will only increase until the return of Christ. And so, if I could say, like, here's one of the things that, uh, that is going to happen. Oh, they, did they already put it up? They probably did. I, didn't, I might have missed it. That there will be an increase of wars, famines, and earthquakes until Christ's return. And that this is going to be an indicator of one of the birth pains because these are going to continue to happen. Um, in fact, there was an article in, just in August. So this is just a couple month, months ago. This is what it said. David Beasley, the executive director of the UN World Food Program, said the title of the article was Famine of Biblical Proportions Looms Over Humanity Due to COVID-19. They're expecting those without food and malnutrition to double this year. Now, here's what's crazy about that. I don't know if you ever feel this way or think this. Any of you ever uh, have the statement or the thought go through your mind? Like, how does this still happen in 2020? Like, how is it possible that we're still suffering from a disease? Like, uh, that we can't control this thing. How is it possible that with all of our smarts, all of our technology, all of who we are today, that we can't feed everyone on this planet? right? I don't know if you ever feel that way, but the reality is that as much as we feel like we're really smart, we've got a lot of resources, we should be able to solve this. Are you aware that it's going to increase? It's part of the birth pains. There's going to be famines, there's going to be earthquakes, there's going to be wars. That's part of the birth pains. Continue on in verse 9, Matthew 24, verse 9. He says this, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. So second thing that is going to be increasing is there will be increased persecution. Yay! <laughs> I know you're like, what? And, and sometimes we can think, like, didn't that only happen in the early days? Like, I get it that right in the early church, there was a lot of persecution on the church. But are you aware that there is more persecution today than there was right when the church was first born. In the first 300 years of the church's existence, there were approximately 2 million people martyred for their faith, who died for their faith. 300 years. We hit that number every 20 years now. There's approximately 100,000 people who will die this year for their faith in Jesus Christ. Martyrdom, persecution, will continue to increase uh, as we near the end. 
Uh, in fact, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary estimates that since Christ's life, there have been approximately 70 million martyrs. If you want to know, hey, where can I kind of track what's happening as far as persecution around the world, go to persecution.com. Voice of the Martyrs is the website. Um, it's a great place to stay current, give toward, and pray for persecuted countries. And I really believe as America becomes a more post-Christian nation, Persecution of the church, our attack on our religious liberties and freedoms is likely going to follow. It's not something that is from just the past. It is now. It is global. It is increasing. And folks, it shouldn't shock you. It just shouldn't shock you that persecution will continue to increase as we near the return of Christ. Continue on, verse 10. He says this, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Deceive many people. What's that going to look like? Well, I think it's going to be an increase of this. It's an increase, number three, of false prophets and false religions. Right now, there are five major world religions and 4,200 minor Religions. Now, here's the important thing. It's actually the more important number is that second number, 4,200 minor religions. Because 100 years ago, you want to know how many minor religions there were? 350. That means in the past 100 years, that's an increase of 1,200%. There are 40 new religions every single year. This is just signs of the birth pains, folks, because there will be more and more false Prophets, false teachers claiming that they have a new religion, uh, a new way. And these are just the indicators of the birth pains. Continue on verse 12. Those are astounding numbers. They should shake you a little bit to the core of how the, the intense increase. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. If there's another thing that's going to increase, it's this. There's going to be an increase of wickedness and a love uh, love growing cold. I think this is how the increase of wickedness is often um, just kind of flies under the radar. It's an acceptance of sin and wickedness that is becoming so prevalent in, even in our culture. And it flies under the radar with this statement. What you do in private is your own business. Now, it might be true. It might be their own business, but it has a profound effect upon the reality of that statement that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago becoming real. And it has a profound impact upon genuine love growing cold. Now, maybe it's just uh, the election season, but I feel like the love of so many is growing cold. Uh, we're in a culture that claims that we love people, but posts on social media and how people treat one another tell another story of, of anger and hatred. And genuine love, I think, is growing cold. What else is going to be increasing? Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says this, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I probably could have put this into the next section of things that have to happen before the end will come, but it's also a great sign that we're nearing the end because one of the things that has, has to happen is an increased gospel reach. That verse says... The end won't come until the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's going to make it everywhere. And the point is, the gospel actually has to make it to every people group on the nation before Christ will return. 
Now, there's a handful of organizations that are actually focused on that. Like, that's all they track, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth because Christ can't return until that's accomplished. That's our job as the church to get it there. There's approximately 17,500 people groups, depending on how you break them up uh, in people groups. But that's uh, rough numbers that most people go by. There are seven, just over 7,000 that are yet to be reached. Now, you might be like, that's a huge number. But here's what qualifies or characterizes an unreached people group. It's a group of people, not that the gospel hasn't gone to, but no one yet has responded to it. For example, if you look at a map of the unreached people groups here in America, um, there's a little dot over Owatonna, Minnesota. That's the town I came from before I moved here. In Owatonna, the unreached people group is a group of Somali Muslims that live there. They lived about two blocks from my house. And um, while I was there, I actually met with the mosque leaders, the Sikh leader there. Uh, I, I shared the gospel with them. I prayed with them. I was building relationships with them before I moved here. So the reality is the gospel has come to those people. And I've got some good friends still in that town who are actively loving on those people and trying to share the love of Christ with them. So the gospel's made it to them, but there's no one who has yet received Christ out of that community. So they're still technically an unreached people group by that classification. However, if you look at unreached people groups that has not, that the gospel has not yet gone to them, you want to know how many are left out of the 17,500? You want to know how many are left? 218. Folks, if you're sitting here going, is it possible that we're nearing the end? Are you aware the church is doing the job we were always designed to do, which was get the gospel to the ends of the earth? There's only 218 tribes yet who have not yet heard the gospel. When the gospel gets to them, it is green light go for Christ to return. This is what is necessary for the gospel to, for, for Christ to return, is to, for us to reach it. We are nearing the end, and that is so exciting to me, but it also means, man, we better be after it in terms of sharing the love of Christ everywhere we go. All right, the rest of chapter 24, I'm not going to go into it, but Jesus highlights some things that will happen in the middle of actually the tribulation, the return of Christ, and what things will feel like. I would encourage you to read the rest of that chapter. But now I want to go into kind of my second portion of the message, which is five things that need to happen before uh, or before Christ's arrival, okay? So five things that need to be in place. So those were five things that kind of indicators were nearing the end. Here's five things that have to be in place before his arrival. First one is this. Israel has to be reestablished as a nation. This one, we can put a check mark next to because this happened 72 years ago. But there's prophecy about how this was going to happen and needed to happen. It actually happened, Israel had been not formed as a nation for over 2,000 years. And, uh, but in Ezekiel, it says, I will bring them out from, from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land. This is exactly what happened in 1948 when Israel was reestablished as a nation. Jews had been scattered after the Holocaust all over Europe and all over the Middle East. And then they started in Africa. And then they started now being gathered back to their country. I will pasture them on, their, on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. You want to know how quickly it will happen? Isaiah actually prophesied about that. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8, he says this, whoever has ever heard of such a thing, who's ever seen such a thing, can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she will give birth to her children. And literally that's how Israel came into uh, its 
being recognized in, as a nation happened overnight. If you read kind of the history of it, it was when the British mandate was literally terminated on that day. The UN had voted some things in place the previous year that made it possible. And when the British mandate was terminated on May 14th, 1948, that immediately turned Israel into a nation. And they literally didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden they were. And Bible prophecy was fulfilled. Second thing that had, has to be in place, the increase of world travel and knowledge. So if you study end times, um, there's multiple places that you're going to look. You're going to look to the book of Revelation. You're going to look at Daniel. You really can't stu stu study Revelation without studying Daniel. Uh, you'll also look at Jeremiah and Isaiah and Zephaniah. There's a handful of prophecies buried within each of them. But in Daniel chapter 12, there's this fascinating verse. Um, this is after he's been, Daniel has been given some visions of the end and end times uh, things. And um, God instructs him, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. But then he describes, here's some things that will be happening. Many will go here and there and knowledge will increase. This is an indicator of once again, the end, some of the things that have to be in place. Many will go here and there. Now, the thing that gets, the word that gets translated as here and there, it's a Hebrew word that literally means to run to and fro and it infers travel. Now, th something you got to understand is even up to 100 years ago, most people died within five miles of the place where they were born. It's just the majority of the world. People didn't travel. You might travel once a year. Even Jews would travel maybe once a year to Jerusalem. But people did not travel. Many did not travel to and fro. Yet in 1903, the Wright brothers made that kind of epic first flight, remember? And then it took about 50 years before commercial airlines came into existence. And now, if you, or think back, if you, 100 years ago, you want to go to Europe and you lived here in Wisconsin, what would you do? You'd hop a train and you'd go to New York, then you'd hop a ship and cruise a, a month till you got to Europe. Now, if you want to go to Europe, what do you do? Buy a plane ticket and you're there in nine hours, Right? Because global travel and going to and fro, many traveling to and fro, is our norm. Right? This is necessary for the end to come. And then it goes on in that statement to say, uh, many will travel to and fro and knowledge will increase. Knowledge will increase. The little, literal translation is knowledge shall be increased. What does that mean? Well, it's estimated that up till 1900, uh, human knowledge, and when we say that, we, what we mean is and classify all that we know and all information that existed. All that we know, all information that existed doubled approximately every century. So about every hundred years, human knowledge would double. By 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. By 1982, it was doubling every 12 to 13 months. By 2018, it was doubling every 24 hours. And in 2020, we are doubling our amount of knowledge that we know every 12 hours. Every 12 hours. And knowledge shall increase. We are at this tipping point right now that is fulfilling some of the things that, it set, that Daniel wrote over 3,000 years ago, folks. It's unbelievable. In fact, from an article back in 2013, they were talking about nanotechnology, that's robotic uh, you know, uh, microtechnology, was doubling at that point every two years, clinical knowledge every 18 months. But at this point, we're closer to every 12 hours. A couple other things that need to happen 
that has to be in place specifically for during the tribulation, okay? There's going to be a time of great tribulation, a seven-year period of time that I believe is coming. Um, And there's a few things that have to be in place for that end to come. One of them is this. The rebuilding of the third temple and the reestablishment of the daily temple sacrifices in Israel and in Jerusalem specifically. Isaiah chapter 2 actually prophesied about this. Said, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest on the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and nations will stream to it. Is that all of That's it. I never know if I'm at the end of it. Oh, yeah, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the temple of God, of Jacob. Now, there's actually a handful of places that are focused on actually reestablishing the third temple and preparing for it. Actually, since 1987, there's a movement. It's called the Temple Movement that has actually been preparing and for the rebuilding of the third temple to see it come into existence in this 21st century. Gershon Solomon, he's the director of the Temple Mount Faithful, an organization that's been trying to prepare Israeli society for the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, and they have already constructed constructed, getting ready for this, the cornerstone of the third temple. I saw it while I was there a handful of years ago, as well as a handful of the temple-related utensils like the menorah and uh, lampstands, etc. You can go online and you can look at these. They already have all the utensils ready for for the sacrificial system to be reinstated. And uh, in Daniel and in Revelation, it refers multiple times to the reality that there will, the daily sacrifice will be restarted And it will go for three and a half years, and then it will be ended again in the middle of the tribulation. And so these are things that have to be in place um, for the end to come. Fourth thing that has to be in place, the practicality of the mark of the beast and a one-world financial system. So there will be an Antichrist who um, basically brings peace to the world, but then also he'll do something. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, it describes one of the things that he's going to do. He's going to force all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And this will basically be a way of showing your allegiance to the Antichrist or the world system that is ruling and established at that time. Now, once again, 100 years ago, no one probably had an an idea. How in the world would this even function or work? 2,000 years ago when John wrote this, he would have had no idea. Um, He might have imagined like a tattoo or something like that. But now with the technology we have, this is like pretty simplistic when we think about it. We've been chipping animals for quite some time time. And in fact, we've been chipping people now for uh, a few years. In fact, it began, one of the places where it has begun is right here in Wisconsin at a, uh, at a business called Three Square Market. It's a technology company that provides self-service mini markets to hospitals, hotels, and company break rooms. Um, uh, just in 2018, roughly 50 of the employees got chipped there. And um, this is straight out of an article. Let me read it to you. When Patrick McMullen, he's the CEO of Three Square, wants a Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper, uh, when he's at work, he pays for it with a wave of a hand. McMullen has a microchip implanted between his thumb and forefinger on his right hand, and the vending machine immediately deducts money from his account. At his office, he's one of dozens of employees who have been living this way for years now. 
The, a lot of this technology began uh, and has been kind of running now in Sweden, and it's estimated that there are 5,000 people in Sweden who have chips planted under their skins, skin in their hands, and they use it to open front doors, buy a digital train ticket, log into their work computer, buy lunch, etc. A hundred years ago, that whole idea of how would that look was hard to wrap your head around. Now, of course, today it's not. Fifth and final one, once again, has to be possible. The death of God's two witnesses will be viewed by all. During the tribulations, God is going to have a couple prophets or or witnesses, as they're referred to in Revelation, who are going to speak out against the Antichrist and they will be killed by the Antichrist. And then it describes, actually, what will happen right after their deaths. So check it out in Revelation Chapter 11, verse 8 through 10, it says, Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Savior was crucified. For three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Now, Once again, prior to a hundred years ago, you would have said, how in the world would all tribes, nations, tongues, languages, all these different nations be able to see something, gaze at bodies live, you know, in live time, lying dead? How, How would that be possible? But of course, now with our technology, watching a live video stream from around the world is not a bizarre idea at all, right? See, there are things in place for the end to come. And the point of all of this is just to make the observation there's an increase in false teaching, there's an increase in persecution, an increase in the speed of our ability to reach the unreached people groups, those final 200 tribes. Uh, it, there's an increase in travel, an increase in knowledge, there's technology in place for the end to finally come. God gave us signs or clues to the treasure, if you will, uh, to discern if the end could be near. And it just feels like everything's finally adding up, folks. So, question, how in the world does this impact you today? Well, I've often likened kind of end time study to this analogy, this picture. Picture it like the final two minutes of a basketball game. Have you ever been to a basketball game? I, I love the final two minutes. I used to love watching the Bulls back in the 90s with Michael Jordan. I lived down in the Chicagoland area. They were the best team to watch during the final two minutes because they could be down And they could still rally, and Jordan could sink a whole bunch of threes, and all of a sudden they come back because the final two minutes is the best part of the game when everything can change. And, you know, all of a sudden a team that looks like they're losing can all of a sudden be winning, and it's just exciting. It's electric. And in the place, everyone stands to their feet, and everyone's engaged. And here's the deal, folks. If you liken an entire basketball game to the entire length that all of humanity has had here on earth, I would liken... The fact that I believe we're nearing the end times to the final two minutes. And folks, there is no better time to be alive than in the final two minutes. There's no better time to be alive than in the final two minutes. This is where all the action's at. This is where things get electric. This is where things get kind of crazy. But you're a part of it and you're present for it. I would remind you of the words that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 44, where he said this. Hey, be ready because the son of man will come on an hour when you don't expect so what do you do in the meantime 
I sit and I twiddle my thumbs. I waste my time on Fortnite all day long. No, 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 no. Don't waste your life away sitting back or pursuing the things of this world. Be ready. Be a part. Be active for the end I think is near. We're in the final two minutes. It's the best part. Best time to be alive. Best time to reach those final two 200 tribes, people groups. It's the best time to love on your neighbor. It's the best time to invest in love on love like Christ in a loveless and godless nation. It's the best time, folks. It's the final two minutes. I know Pastor Jeff said, I know we feel a little bit like 2020. We kind of want to kick it in the teeth. So kick it in the teeth. It's the best time. Join God in what he's up to and be ready. Don't be sitting back. A simple way to even get in the game, grab an Operation Christmas Child box. You might say, how's that getting in the game? Why? Because it's going to a child and a family that may not have heard the gospel. You're not just sending gifts, you're sending the gospel message. You're a part of the very thing that ushers in the end, which is reaching the farthest ends of the earth. Be a part of it. Get in the game. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to be gone, okay? Why don't you stand? Why don't you stand? You've been sitting long enough. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us clues to point us to one of the best times to be alive. The final two minutes, perhaps, that we're in right now. The final people groups yet to be reached. And we can be praying for them. We can be active. We can be giving toward that. The the best time to be light in darkness and to be expecting big things of your kingdom to invade this world. Lord, I pray that you would right now just do an awakening in so many hearts that maybe we've just gotten lazy or apathetic and we just be, need to be reminded of Matthew 24, 44 that says, be ready. Lord, may we be ready and active and a part of the best time to be alive. Thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to this mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.